Ori for the Bruins, tied up by Ecclestone and Berenson. Westfall rolled it in front. Sanderson tried a shot that was wide and keen and cleared a buck not out. Bobby Orr behind the net to Sanderson. To Orr! Welcome to the quintessential Carnival Personnel Sideshow, The Goal. Joe, in two days, it will be the 50th anniversary of what many, most hockey aficionados consider the greatest goal in Stanley Cup history. That, of course, is Bobby Orr's overtime game-winning goal in May 10th, 1970, against the St. Louis Blues. You were... Minus eight. What's your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I like the time when the puck went in the net. How many times do you think you have seen that goal in your life? Twice. Oh, wait. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably oh. at least three times. I honestly, there's no close second because, you know, hockey's been my, my biggest thing my entire life, you know, as a fan. And it doesn't matter if you're watching every single Bruins game ever in the opening, whether it was, you know, on TV 38, Nesson, a nationally televised game, and the introduction to the game, they always have that goal. I truly have seen that, let's say, 100 times a year. I'm 50. I've seen it five. I literally have seen it without exaggeration. I'm not going to say 5,000 times. I've seen it at least 2,500 times. Don't forget the Bay Bank commercials from the 90s. The Bay Bank. Uh, and didn't Bay Bank become Shamit? And then he was Shamit's guy for a while. Anyways, as a hockey player myself, and I'm going to make my good friend, you know, uh, Paul the Blind Squirrel Rugar, pride of Jamaica Plain, listen to this episode. And, you know, Scotty Black, you know, Guitar Center Scotty, because we talk about it ad nauseum. Like, Scotty grew up, Scotty Black grew up, you know, in Hamilton, Ontario, and, you know, Paul in Jamaica playing. Scotty worshipped the Bruins and Bobby Orr. You know, we all play defense, and it's all because of that guy. There is nobody close to my age who still plays hockey who every time they do a give-and-go isn't doing that in their head. Like we all have done it in our driveway. If I've seen that clip, you know, 2,500 times, I've done that goal at least 5,000 times. <laughs> and and look, I'm not going to pretend to say, I remember at 11 months being at my uncle's house. I was at my uncle's house with my mom, you know, watching the game. I was probably asleep. You know, you know at one time, my oldest son will, will tell the story when the Red Sox won their second, you know, World Series, you know, which – like this, like this Stanley Cup was a sweep in Colorado against the Rockies. And, you know, on the last, you know, strikeout where Veritech, the catcher, comes running out and he jumps into the arms of Papelbon. My little guy then was four weeks old. And I was, <laughs> and I know the bar, I was watching it in Santa Monica with the wife and a few Boston transplants. And, you know, I did. I wanted to be holding my son while that happened. You know what I mean? So I was at my uncle's with my mom, you know, and they have, of course, no memory of it. But that goal, it, it, truly, it's such a Boston thing, the statue outside the garden. But it is, if you watch Hockey Night in Canada, 50 years later on their pregame package, you know, the thing that rolls for like 30 seconds, it doesn't matter how many new clips come in that they swap out. 
There's some that you do not swap out. You know, there's, there's just some quintessential hockey moments and it will always end with that goal. It, 50 years later, there's been 50 Stanley Cups won and lost since then. And, and you know, the rise of Wayne Gretzky, you know, the, the expansion. I mean, when, when that goal happened, there was 12 teams and six of them had only been in the league for four years at that time or three years. Yeah, that was the third season. That was the third season. And anyways, it was all the things that have come and gone. I'll see if I can find it and I'll post it. Some Canadian artist did the Sistine Chapel, like literally on his ceiling, did the Sistine Chapel of hockey. And where you have Adam hand reaching out to God, it's Bobby Orr you know, with his <laughs> stick, you know, extended. Anyways, it was Mother's Day, May 10th, 1970. It capped at that time the greatest year of Bobby Orr's life. It capped the greatest season of any defenseman's career. He became the first defenseman to win the Hart Ross Trophy for leading goal scorer in the league. Only has that happened one other time. And it was by Bobby Orr two years later. <laughs> you know, I there's a great picture. Bobby Orr that year won the Norris Trophy for Defenseman of the Year. He won the Art Ross Trophy for uh leading goal scorer. He won the Conn Smythe Trophy for playoff MVP, and he won the Stanley Cup. Like, the four biggest trophies you have, the, the only other, you know, trophy they have, it, it, you know, is for goaltending, and he can't win that, <laughs> you know, although he bailed Jerry Cheevers out more than 100 times that season. And the tweet that went out a few years ago, it's like, nowadays, everybody gets a trophy. There was once a time when only Bobby Orr got a trophy. <laughs> I mean, that season... So I'll play devil's advocate just so Biff doesn't get me too hard or time. The way the Stanley Cup used to work back then is to make sure that the six new franchises succeeded and that hockey became more of a national game versus a regional game. Because from 1928 to 1967, there were six teams and truly Montreal is a four-hour car ride from Boston. The Rangers are a four-hour car ride from Boston. Toronto's. A nine-hour, you know, bus ride. But you had all those teams, you know, same thing, like Detroit and Chicago. You know, it was a regional thing. So to make sure the NHL decided, okay, there will be one of the original six goes to the Stanley Cup Finals and one expansion team goes to the Stanley Cup Finals. So it wasn't like Scotty Bowman, who was a great coach, probably the greatest coach in the history of hockey, Yes, he got his expansion team to three straight Stanley Cups, which he lost all three, but he was the best of the new teams. And, you know, so, so yes, the goal itself was scored in overtime, dramatic, but in a sweep. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it wasn't in dispute who was going to win that, that it, it would have been the greatest upset in sports if St. Louis beat the Bruins team that year. That year, the Bruins team had the record for most wins. You know, there you know most points uh, by a team in a season, most goals in a season, greatest goal differential in a season. You know, Bobby Orr broke the record for most goals by a defenseman. Bobby Orr broke the record for most assists by a defenseman in the same season. Honestly, they they were a juggernaut beyond. It was unbelievably how great that team was. Um, so yeah, if you want to diminish it, sure, it was against an expansion team. Sure, it was in a game four sweep. But the dramatic of it being an overtime goal, 
you know, people who don't know Bobby Orr but just know that goal or don't know Bobby Orr well. If you watch, Joe, if you go onto YouTube and you put Bobby Orr goals, in one of these documentaries, uh, Hockey – I'm trying. I'm trying to think of what it was called. The Legends of Hockey it was a like a nine part series put out by the CBC. This is like 20 years ago. It's like a Ken Burns baseball, but for hockey, it's great. And all these players, you know, the reverence that other players had for him. And I think it was Phil Esposito who was talking. You watch when Bobby Orr scored a goal. He put his head down and he skated away, almost like he was embarrassed for being that much better. Like he didn't celebrate goals, and I'm not. I'm not being a fanboy. Just saying that. Spend five minutes watching Bobby Orr highlights when when we get off with this recording, and I'm telling you, you'll see fifty jaw dropping goals. And he puts his head down and he skates back to the face off circle, like like almost ashamed. <laughs> and I, you know, look, this is a Hall of Fame goalie. He's a great guy. I really didn't mean to make him look. <laughs> You know, like, you know, a beached whale flopping around trying to get there. Um, so with that goal, you know, it's like, I think like 45 seconds, 44 seconds, 48 seconds, something like that, into overtime. And St. Louis tries to clear the puck. So, I mean, you know, Bobby did three right things on that play. He pinched in and he threw his body against the board. So when when I think it was Al Arbor. Uh, who was a defenseman trying to clear the puck. Al Arbor, who went on to, as you know, as you've talked about before, coached the New York Islanders to four straight Stanley Cups in the early 80s. But at the time, he was the defenseman. He was team captain, the defenseman of St. Louis. He tries to clear the puck. Bobby throws himself against the boards. It bounces off of him. He pushes it past the next defender, steps around that guy. And there he is, Derek Number 16, the Turk Sanderson, standing at the side. And this is what every boy in Massachusetts and Boston and hockey has done truly 100,000 times in the driveway. All right, I'm Bobby Orr. You're Derek Sanderson. He passes the puck to Derek Sanderson as the defenseman turns to look you know, at Sanderson. Sanderson throws the puck between the defenseman's skates. And as Bobby says... I just kept, you know, he downplays everything. He just, I just kept my stick on the ice. Derek Sanderson, he will tell you on his deathbed, Derek Sanderson scored that goal. All I had to do is keep my stick on the ice. You know, Turk hit my stick with the puck. It bounced off my stick uh, through Glenn Hall, you know, who Hall of Fame goalie. I mean, again, it's it wasn't, you know, yeah, it was an expansion team, but they had some great players and in. They did make it to the Stanley Cup Finals, but he scores it against Glenn Hall, and that's all he did. He just literally, as soon as he gets it, he taps it through the wickets, and he jumps you know, to celebrate. I mean, it's the Stanley Cup. Yeah, he's going to celebrate this goal, but I think the defenseman's name was Noel Pritchard, who was trying to trip Bobby Orr. Like, if you watch Bobby Orr footage, you know, and I've, I've said this before. Uh, Ace Bailey is the only person in NHL history to be on a roster with Bobby Orr and Wayne Gretzky. And he said the quintessential difference between them was Bobby Orr was a target. Gretzky was protected. And people people viciously went after Orr because you had to. You literally couldn't skate with them. You know, there wasn't a close second skater. There wasn't a close second stick handler. So Noel Pritchard is truly trying to trip him. Because that's all he can do as Bobby Orr is jumping up. And and the absolute perfect, 
You know, so if you know Bobby Orr from the one thing, you would think he was a hotshot showboat who all he celebrated. That's probably the only goal he celebrated in his life. And what makes that, you know, the footage is so spectacular. But as we talked on this past week's, you know, regular show, Carnival Personnel, um, everybody in New England, you know, every 40 plus year old, you know, white guy has that picture framed somewhere in their house. It was a rookie reporter who photographer who couldn't get a good spot like like he couldn't get to where the veteran guys got to set up their camera you know gear it's like oh you just you just go over there you know it's like and he takes arguably the greatest hockey photo of all time I mean the guy has made a career and rightfully so out of snapping the perfect picture from the perfect angle at the perfect time. I had a friend, he was an artist, and as a gift once, he made, I don't know if you know what decoupage is, because I didn't. It's almost like this clear, uh, it's like a hardened, hardened substance, but he did like a diorama of that goal, a little bigger than the size of a puck. <laughs> With, I mean, he took weeks, weeks, and weeks making it for me. Uh, everybody in the perfect position. But yeah, so that goal... Like I said, is is considered the you know the guy who made the Sistine Chapel of hockey. You know, has him as Adam reaching out to the hand of God. You know, his stick. There's been so many amazing, great Stanley Cup goals. That, you know, I could you know sit here with you know Scotty, John, and, and Biff for the next 800 hours and argue what was the second greatest goal. <laughs> and you could argue, you know, you know. Mario Lemieux and the Wayne Gretzky's goal and, and rendezvous 87 or, you know, the goal to win the Canada Cup. But the NHL considers this, I think they still consider this the greatest goal of all time. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Joe. <laughs> no, no, I, I, Joe, I, I, I am. I'm apologizing to Joe because I said, hey, let's talk about this. And Joe said, great. I can listen to you. I'm like, no, no, we're going to have a conversation about it. Um, Joe. You were you were minus eight. How did this affect your life? <laughs> what? <laughs> so seriously, <laughs> I mean, so I started playing hockey when I was about five. So by the time you were born, I had done this in the driveway and on the rink a thousand times. It is it is it is a quintessential hockey moment for me. I I replay this all the time. I mean, my Probably next to Bobby Orr, next to Bobby Orr, and and of course the F and H crew, you know standards, you know like Mike Britton, Steve Dolly, Derek Sanderson was a huge, 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 huge inspiration, like role model for me as a player. So the fact that those two are the ones that made this goal happen, um, I don't know. I I, I can't think of any single moment, you know, Vinatieri's kick. Maybe is is a close second to win the Super Bowl, but yeah, this is the biggest sporting viewing moment in my life, and it happened when I was eleven months years old. Eleven months years old. Eleven months old. What about uh, Larry Bird stealing the ball? Um, that that was the amazing thing about that, and people forget. And this is where we could pull Dr. Ross Salowich on. Dennis Johnson still had to hit a pretty hard shot. Like Larry stealing the ball was was phenomenal. And it shouldn't have happened. It's one of those things where 
dude, it's an inbound pass. <laughs> like, like you're coming off a timeout. You were in the biggest thing. You could do a thousand things. You know, you could literally hurl the ball to the other side of the court. You could throw a Hail Mary pass. You could do anything but but Larry Bird fake you out without the ball. <laughs> and then when Larry makes, you know, a pretty remarkable pass, like Dennis Johnson is at an awkward. Did you set me up just to go on another Boston sports rant? Did, did I try to kick the ball, Lucy? <laughs> I just wanted to chime in with something because I don't know. It's This will be the, the shortest uh, sideshow ever. I applaud you for that. Oh, no, I can keep going. I, I, I can keep going. So they win the Stanley Cup. And Johnny Busick, known as the Chief, had been with the Bruins. I think he's on his 18th, 19th, 19th, 20th season. And the Bruins had missed the playoffs the previous eight. Like, they made the playoffs the last two years. But the first year of Bobby Orr's career... You know, they missed the playoffs. They missed the playoffs the previous six years. In a six-team league where four teams make the playoffs, they missed the playoffs seven years in a row, you know, Joe. And it's so funny, you know, to hear everybody talk about it when you watch the footage. You know, so they give the Stanley Cup to Johnny Busick, who skates once around the ice and got off the ice carrying it and wouldn't let anybody else touch it. <laughs> like he, he wouldn't let Bobby Orr touch it or Derek Sanderson, Phyllis Pacino, Cheevers, not even Coach Harry Sinden. He literally, like, the, the, I think I think he actually dented the Stanley Cup by gripping it so hard. He actually took the thing and just squeezed it it's so, it's so tightly. Um, and we did. We talked about the statue. Are there any... I mean, there's there will be a Tom Brady statue in a few years at Gillette. In L.A., they started putting statues out in front of the Staples Center about a decade ago. But I don't know. You know, I know Yankee Stadium is famous for their statues. Are there other sports figures in Boston that already have statues? Well, if you go outside Fenway Park, there are statues. And they, and they should. You know, rightfully so. You know, and you mentioned Larry Bird. Uh, Larry Bird had always talked about this. I've seen him say this in dozens of interviews and whether it's the right thing to say, he says, if you ever look at footage of a Boston Celtics game during the national anthem, Larry Bird is just staring at the number four retired Jersey. He said, you know, his biggest wish was to mean half as much to the Celtics fans as, as Bobby Orr meant to the city. Are as you're you... telling me this story, I'm staring <laughs> at Bobby Orr's number four hanging on my door in the Luseum because you uh, so graciously donated a replica of Bobby Orr's retired number to hang from our rafters here at Carnival Personnel Central. So I thank thee. Do you want me to and with FaceTime? Do you want me to bring it on camera so you can look at it? I I, I would. I, I okay. would actually well, like if you, you if you if you, you could, could do me the kindness. If you could vamp for maybe ten seconds. Okay. I will. So we've talked about Bobby Orr and his greatness and, and the Bruins in that era at length. And I would love to do a sideshow about each member of that team at one point. I would. I would absolutely love to do a Derek Sanderson sideshow. I, I think a Derek Sanderson sideshow is in order. But I wanted to keep the focus on this like one moment in time. And I cannot believe 
I mean, because I now feel incredibly old that that goal, that goal is, uh, wait, hold on. That goal is 16 days older than Dan Cray. (laughs) 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 That that goal is 16 days older than Dan Cray. Here it is. I'm raising the number so that Jacques can see it on camera. Uh, and I do. I get the way the way that Joe slowly raised it up. It looked like the banner raising. It literally looked like it was being brought up to the rafters. It it still kills me that he only played ten years, and and out of the ten years that he played, uh, he missed about thirty percent of that time with injuries. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, so honestly, he 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 pretty much played six and a half seasons and there's a five year window where somebody, you know, recently broke down the stats where, I mean, a defenseman in an era of fighting in an era of small ranks, like nowhere to hide, like literally the ranks were a lot smaller, uh, nowhere to hide. The equipment was what it was. And yet this guy averaged as a defenseman, almost two points a game. And it, and again, certain records will not be broken. Certain records will not be broken. It's just the way it is. And in all sports, there are some records that will not be broken. Bobby Orr, two seasons later in 1972, had a plus minus in one year, a plus minus of 128. I think last year the guy who won the plus minus in the NHL had a plus minus of a plus twenty three. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, honestly, Tom Brady. No one, no quarterback will go to nine Super Bowls. It's just not going to happen. I, I really think Michael Jordan's six rings is probably safe. You know, I think my, I know Mike. If, if Mike Jordan's record of six rings not being safe. Him going six for six in the finals, I think, is a safe bet. You know, there's just some things that won't happen. But but just focusing again on this goal, yeah, it was against the expansion team. But I think Noel Pritchard's in the Hall of Fame, the defenseman. Al Arbor's in the Hall of Fame. I think Al Arbor is in the Hall of Fame maybe as a coach, not as a player. I know Glenn Hall is in, you know, as a player, as a goalie. It happened at home, too, you know. And it was the first time the Bruins won the Cup since... Gosh, I think the last time they had won it was maybe 52, something like that, you know? So, I mean, it was 18, 19 years later that they, you know, they won the cup. Um, And then they they had won, you know, in 72 after that, but then not ever again until 2011, you know, like the, so the time span between, so as far as Bostonians growing up in the 70s, 80s and 90s and 2000s, the only thing that they had to kind of look back on as far as great moments in Boston Bruins history was that fucking goal. You know, the the tough thing about having grown up being a Red Sox fan and, and a and a Patriot fan. No, the Pat okay, here's the difference between the Patriots and the Bruins, and between the Patriots and the Red Sox. The Patriots generally sucked. In 1976, they had a good run and a really bad call. An absolute phantom, never-happening call cost them a playoff game against the Oakland Raiders that would have probably got them to the Super Bowl in 1976. But the years before that, they weren't in the playoffs. From that year, that was 75 or 76, to 1986 when they made it to the Super Bowl and got spanked by the Bears. 
they were horrible. Like there was one year we're going into the last game of the season, both them and the the Indianapolis Colts. I think now I think they were Baltimore still. The ball, yeah, the Baltimore Colts were both one and fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> Going into the last game of the season, and it was referred to as the tidy bowl. <laughs> like, like. But on the other hand, the Bruins. So they win. They win the cup in seventy and seventy two. In seventy one, Joe, as great as they were in nineteen seventy, and as great as they were in nineteen seventy two, their greatest year was nineteen seventy one. They were almost bequeathed the cup. It was a. It was a what, what? What do you call it? A, a formality. Complete. Oh yeah, fait complete. You know, it was like thank it, you. Yeah, it was going to happen. And then some asshole punk fucking nobody decides. Oh, I just won the Hobie Baker, you know, for being the best goalie in college hockey. Why don't I come out a couple months early and go play for the Montreal Canadiens? And fucking Ken Dryden comes out of nowhere, absolutely nowhere. I mean, when I say. The records that the Bruins have broken that season about the number of wins, the number of home wins, the number of goals, the goal differential. I mean, dude, it's ridiculous. So they lost that. They also end up losing two cups to the Philadelphia Flyers, the first expansion team to win a cup. So it wasn't like... They went back to being the pre-Bobby Orr Bruins where six-team league and you couldn't make the playoffs for seven <laughs> years. And, th- and that was the same thing with the Red Sox. The Red Sox, from the time they won their last World Series to the one in 2004, they had lost seven Game 7s in the World Series. Like, like they, it was so close. It wasn't like when people are like, oh, the Red Sox and the Cubs are the same. No, the Cubs... 90% of the time, the Cubs were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs by the middle of spring training. <laughs> like, like, like they were out of it by spring training. And, and again, you know, the same thing with like, you know, the Patriots. It was, you know, we used to relish and, and we're probably going to get there this year relishing an eight and eight year. You know what I mean? But that was the tough thing about being a Bruins fan growing up, dude. I cannot tell you how many times they won the president trophy for having the best record in the regular season to have Montreal who couldn't skate with them like that whole year, catch fire and, you know, knock them out in the first round. I mean, or beat them in the, I mean, it was, it was 10 years to the day, 10 years to the day, if you are Paul Ruger, if you are me, if you are Scotty Black, if you are a Bruins fan of our age and you're watching a preseason game and the Bruins get called for too many men on the ice, you start to shake. You start to get this, as I'm saying it out loud, this weird kind of rising up. You can feel the anxiety starting in my lower back and working the way to the shoulders as I'm talking. Because they're playing in the Montreal Forum. They're up four to three. There's seven, eight minutes left in the game. And, you know, the, the phantom calls that the Montreal Canadiens were always famous for getting. And I'm not, I'm not belittling the, that franchise greatness. But, yes. As many phantom calls as the Patriots have gotten, <laughs> you know, as many. Hey, the tuck rule was a legitimate rule. Th- that wasn't legitimate. No, that rule was a legitimate rule. But I can't tell you how many times Tom Brady's got a roughing the quarterback call when the closest guy to him was nine yards away. <laughs> uh, we've gotten our calls. But anyways, 
On May 10th, 1979, the Bruins get called for too many men on the ice. Montreal goes and they score the game-tying goal, and then they go on and they win in overtime. And again, it was one of those things where it was a game seven. It's 10 minutes away. Now that game, I fucking remember. Yeah. Like, like I'm 11 months old when Bobby Orr scores the goal. I'm 10, again, at the same uncle's house. Dude. I truly was inconsolable. I, 40 years later, I'm still crying about it. <laughs> yeah. But if you're a Bruins fan, I'm dead serious. If you listen to any broadcast, when, when, if and when hockey comes back, if the Bruins get called for too many men on the ice, it doesn't matter if it's the radio announcer, the in-between-the-period guys, they joke about, yep, that call that, you know, I mean, <laughs> and they bring, and it's one of those things where it's like, why am I bringing it up? It, it does nothing but cause anxiety and a wave of sadness. You want to talk that, about Bill Buckner next? Do you want to <laughs> just go to the trifecta of the lowlights no, of Boston sports history? Or do we want to well, kind of focus at, on the at, goal? Well, well, see, so so we, we've talked about it. We've talked about it where people who are my age who've been assholes for the past 20 years because Boston does nothing but win don't – your son has no idea. Joe, Joe has a son who's 20 who has been born into a, a gilded age of, you know, I mean, it's, it's not, it's only shocking when the Patriots don't win the Super Bowl. It's only shocking when the Red Sox aren't the best team in baseball. But there was, and again, with the Red Sox, it, I think, gosh, fuck, it was the same year. It was the same year. Four months later, the Red Sox had a, 18-game league going into the month of September, and all they had to do was not lose every game and have the Yankees not win every game. And on the last game of the season, they end up tied, and they have to play a one-game playoff. And the Yankees' starting catcher can't play that game. So a scrub... Backup catcher. I can't think. I can't place his name. I know what his middle name is, but I can't place his name. <laughs> I'll say the first name and I'll say the last name. You say the middle name. Are you ready? Bucky. Fucking Dent. <laughs> and it's one of those. It was a bloop. It, it, it was a fly ball. The the mystique about the Green Monster and Fenway is you'll hit a line drive six hundred and fourteen miles an hour, twenty feet high. That's a double in Fenway. That's a home run in any other ball field. On the other hand, there's these bloop, you know, these, these bloop outs that, 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 you know, that wouldn't be a warning track in any other field. But if it's high enough. <laughs> and the wind know, can carry it far enough. Oh, and that's Bucky Dent hit what Bucky Dent hit to win. And again. That was a one game play. Back then, you know, there was no playoffs. It's like the best team in the American League like the best team in the National League and that was it and so in the same year that the Bruins lose in game seven you know up in Montreal to their nemesis like they yeah. didn't lose to Toronto <laughs> they lost to the fucking Canadians in Montreal and then four months later the Red Sox lose at home to Bucky fucking dead you know and the Yankees and that's what we grew up that that's how we grew up. The Celtics also missed the playoffs that year, which is why they were able to draft Larry Bird in the first round. But that's something else. But that's that's what we grew up. And now we're flash forward six years later. Oh, 86. Boston, <laughs> Boston, Boston is the greatest sports city that year. The Bruins make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yep. 
the Celtics make it to the NBA Finals. They start the off Red the Sox, year. The Red Sox make it to the World Series. Mm-hmm. And the Patriots make it to the Super Bowl. All four teams made it to the final game, Joe. And lost! One. One. No. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. It was 84, the last... Uh... So yes, so 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 the Celtics in 1986. So huh. Bob Cousy as a player, oh, Bob right. Cousy, 80, the 80, great right. the the great Bob Cousy as a player and as a coach and as a general manager was zero for eleven against the Boston Celtics in the finals. <laughs> like literally, as a player, he lost six championships to the Celtics. As a coach, he lost three. And as a general manager, he lost two. He was the fucking Washington Generals. <laughs> and and nineteen eighty six was the first time that the Lakers beat the Celtics in the finals. So so I have to uh Oh was contest. it was it what what year was it? Was that eighty seven? Eighty six was Sweet Sixteen. Right, right, right. It was Sweet Sixteen. It was the next year. It was eighty seven. Yeah, 87. I was like, right. I, I'm like, I'm a nerd that didn't no, watch no, sports but, in the eighties, but I knew that they had won in eighty six. See, see, I, I blur it because between June, between my sophomore and my between my junior and senior year, so in eighty seven, the year I graduated high school, that's the year that the the, the Lakers finally beat them. Yes. but the the pre but in September, so yeah, so go back in September. You know, uh, or October, that's when the, the ball goes through Buckner's legs. You know, October of 1986. Yeah, that, well, that was the capper to a kind of a, a, a bittersweet year for Boston right. sports. So, so, right. So the, so the Patriots make it to the Super Bowl. They beat Miami in Miami. Like, they were the first wild card team to make it to the Super Bowl because they had to win three playoff games on the road to make it to play the Bears. And at the time, it was the most lopsided loss in Super Bowl history. <laughs> you know, and they had a three three nothing lead. You know, you know, Tony's and marched them down the field and they kicked a field goal. It was also a lopsided the most lopsided loss in music video history because the Super Bowl shuffle was pretty awesome. It and, was huge. Yeah. And uh, the, the Patriots tried. They tried. They really did. They gave it the old college try. Yeah, but don't worry about it. It's not a big college town. So, so growing up, 1979, it's the same thing. You know, Patriots are a laughingstock of the, of the NFL. The, the great Celtics team is no more. Like, you know, they had won two championships in the 70s, you know, with, with Havelcheck. But they were not a good team. In 1979, Celtics Celtics weren't a good team. Patriots were a joke, but the Bruins lost Game Seven to the worst of the worst people you can lose to. Look, if, if, <laughs> by, if, by, by the way, I gotta I gotta stop right now because typical Boston middle aged sports fan, we take the topic of the one of the the most shining moments <laughs> wow, in Boston wow. in Boston sports and history, way, and just find a way to, to, to derail. Oh, by the way, let's not forget about when Buckner blew it, and when when <laughs> you know too many men on the ice, and oh, by the way, uh, somebody's dog was run over in the parking lot as they were leaving the stadium. And now the comic stylings of Homer Simpson, <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, can't we just? You know, okay. Right. Let, 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 I apologize. Let's 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 go back and relish. And the, and the worst thing is, we don't drink. We're not here <laughs> rambling because we're like splitting. You know, a bunch of like Bud Light pounders. You know right. What I mean? Pawtucket Patriots. Okay. <clears throat> In summation, Robert Gordon Orr steals the puck, makes a beautiful pass to Derek Turk Sanderson, number sixteen. You know, behind the net, gets a return pass. 
taps it in through the wickets of Glenn Hall while being tripped by Noel Pritchard and Ray. Oh, how do you say the guy's name? It's it's a French name. L U S S I E R. Lucier. 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 A cub photographer for the Boston Globe snaps the perfect picture of the perfect time, winning the first Stanley Cup for the Bruins in 19 years and is considered the greatest single moment in Boston sports history and the greatest goal in Stanley Cup history. And if you say otherwise, Biff, I will kick you in the nuts. (laughs) (laughs) And then we'll get a a photo of that and then we'll turn that into a statue. (laughs) Uh, so I apologize for the rambling to you, Joe, and to the three people listening. Uh, you know, I, I do. It's like I have several copies of this picture. I have Bobby Orr's autobiography. There's a lot to say about this goal that I think we covered. Thank you for indulging. I will post a couple pictures and some clips on the well, I won't post them on the Carnival Personnel thing. I will post them at you, at Carnival Personnel and at Joe. And, you know, maybe, maybe you if know. If I get around to it, I'll retweet it for the rest retweet. of the folks. All four of them. Um, I apologize, and I thank you for <laughs> the, I thank you for this, what, 40 minutes of self-indulgent theater? Pretty much, yeah. You know, I could have cut you off at 15, and maybe I'll edit this down <laughs> you, to 35. You actually said that at one point. You're like, this is the shortest one ever. I'm like, hold, hold my, my beer. beer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't drink, but hold my beer. All I'm right. Coke Zero. Yeah. And then, um, so, Jacques, anything else you want to say to the uh, one person left listening, yourself, as you sign off? Uh, when you think of Bobby Orr, don't forget. Bobby Orr. I made a lot of moves in my day. Move. The best move I ever made to the Bay Bank card. Now with Express Check. It's the bank card that works like a check. Shouldn't you make your move to Bay Bank? <laughs>